that we would be in the Spirit on the Lord's day, that we might receive a fresh revelation of Jesus. Lord, please speak to us now as we open your word. And I pray that we would not only be informed, but we would be inspired to know that you're the God of life and that you have won the victory over death. So please stir us with conviction. And we thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our message tonight is entitled, Can the Dead Speak to Us? I would like to begin by sharing with you a story about a little boy who was walking through a cemetery one day, and he was reading the tombstones. And then he came across this particular tombstone of a man whose name was Paul Adams. And on that tombstone it said this, Stop, my friend, as you go by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. So prepare yourself to follow me. The little boy read those words, thought about it for a moment. Then he pulled a crayon out of his pocket, and he wrote on the tombstone his response. And here's what his response was. To follow you, I am not content until I know just where you went. (laughs) And that's basically what we want to find out tonight, friends. We want to find out what happens when a person dies. You see, this is a an important question because there's so many different teachings concerning this subject. Many people believe, believe that when you die, you, you become a, some kind of ghost or your spirit lives on in consciousness. Or you go and you live where your ancestors, wherever they went when they died. Others believe that when you die, you are reincarnated to another form of life. Many Eastern religions teach that. Depending on your karma, either an animal form or another human form, that's what some people believe. Most Christians, however, believe that when you die, you go straight to heaven or hell. And then Catholics believe in another place called purgatory. And then there are others who believe that when you die, you simply go into the grave and you sleep until the resurrection. Then there are others who believe that there's no such thing as life after death. That all we have is this life now. Once you die, that's it. Many people are confused about this topic, not only in the world, but even in the church. And we find this spiritual confusion demonstrated in many different funeral services. Where the minister, the priest, or the pastor will get up behind the pulpit. And wanting to comfort the family and the friends of the deceased, the minister will say, don't worry. So-and-so is in heaven right now. They're walking on the streets of gold. They're singing with the angels. They're in a better place. But then, when they go to the graveside and as the casket is lowered six feet under, that same minister will say, from ashes to ashes, dust to dust, may you rest in peace until the resurrection. Well, wait a minute. I thought that minister just said that that person was in heaven and now... They're saying, may you rest in peace until the resurrection. That doesn't make any sense. And then after the funeral service, sometimes families will go home and have a prayer vigil, praying for that that same loved one to come out of purgatory. Well, 
Where is that person? Are they in heaven? Are they in the ground? Are they in purgatory? They can't be in all those places at once because only God is omnipresent. So the devil has done a good job confusing not only the world, but even the church concerning this subject. And that's the reason why we have to answer the question, what really happens when someone dies? And what does God say about trying to communicate with the dead? Well, friends, the Bible speaks in very strong language against this practice of trying to communicate with the dead. And I want you to notice these scriptures. Please write them down as we go through them on the screen. First scripture is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead, for all who do these things are on what? An abomination to the Lord. The Bible tells us, friends, that spiritualism in all of its forms is an abomination to God. Why? Because the Lord knows that this is one of the devil's main ways of deceiving and confusing people through the means of spiritualism. Whether it be magic or witchcraft or sorcery, Ouija boards, crystal ball gazing, palm reading, astrology and all of these other things, my friends, the Bible says it's all an abomination. In fact, under a theocratic form of government, if there was one that was practicing sorcery, they would be put to death. The Bible says in Exodus twenty-two eighteen, 18, you shall not permit, permit a sorceress to live. God speaks very strongly against the practices of spiritualism. Why? Because he knows, as I mentioned, that this is the devil's playground. This is how he's going to deceive millions of people, especially in the last days. In fact, the book of Revelation talks about in the last days how Satan's deceptions are going to be almost overwhelming. Talks about the spirits of devils working signs and wonders and miracles that will cause almost the whole world to follow the Antichrist beast. And so this is something that we need to stay away from, friends. Now, why is Satan's deceptions so captivating? Well, here's the reason. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers. But what makes them so deceitful? It says, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of what? It doesn't say an angel of darkness. This is an angel of light. According to this passage, we see that Satan has the ability to transform his outward appearance. And that's one of his ways of deception. Now, if he could transform into an angel of light, do you think that Satan has the power to transform himself into the appearance of Jesus? Do you think that's possible? And could he come claiming to be Jesus? Absolutely, yes. And that's why Jesus warned us, beware of false Christ and false prophets in the last days. That's what Satan is going to do, friends. He's going to try to impersonate the coming of Christ, claiming to be Christ. Coming as a dazzling, glorious being, friends, not everything that glitters is gold. you got to test all things by the Word. Now, if the devil has the ability to transform himself into the appearance of Jesus, could he come in the appearance of a deceased saint 
like the Virgin Mary or the Apostle Paul or Peter? Yes, he can do that. Could he come in the, in the appearance of a common man? Yes. Well, if that's the case, could it be possible that Satan can come in the form of one of our deceased loved ones? like a mother or a father or a spouse or even a child that has passed away, could the devil come in the appearance of one of our de deceased loved ones? Yes or no? Yes, friends. Oh, that's easy for him to do. And if that's the case, could it be possible that these apparitions that people are seeing are simply demons in disguise coming to deceive? The answer that, to that question is an overwhelming yes. That's why God warns us of this so strongly. The Bible tells us in Galatians 1 verse 8, write it down. It says, the Apostle Paul speaking to the Christian church, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be what? Let him be accursed. The Apostle Paul said clearly, Speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said if, if, if someone comes or even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a different gospel than that which we have preached, let that angel be accursed because that is not an angel from heaven. It is an angel from hell claiming to be an angel from heaven. You see, God is not going to send new light that contradicts old light. That's why Paul said if they preach another gospel, a different gospel, you know that that's not from God because God doesn't contradict himself. If there was a contradiction, that would be confusion. But God is not the author of confusion. Can you say amen? You know what this verse is saying to us? That we cannot trust our senses. The devil can easily manipulate our feelings and emotions and our senses. we got to test all things, even the one looks like an angel from heaven, claims to be an angel from heaven, doesn't mean that it's a real angel from heaven. It has to be in harmony with the word of the living God. Bible says in Isaiah 8, verse 19 and 20, when they, shall, excuse me, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? And then the answer, it says, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's how much light in them? No light in them. My friends, the point is this. Everything must be tested by a thus saith the Lord and an it is written. The devil is a master deceiver. He has had thousands of years to, 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 to perfect his art of deception and all of his sophistries and his greatest deceptions are going to be in the last days. That's why everything must be tested by the word of the living God. But here's the thing, friends. Listen, listen, listen. If we do not know exactly what the word of God teaches about death, if it's a little bit foggy or cloudy in our minds, then the devil will have an easier opportunity deceiving us and leading us astray by demons in disguise. And for that reason, it's important for us to spend some time tonight finding out what the Bible actually teaches about this topic. Friends, did you know that Satan's first lie was about this topic? His very first lie was about death. From the very beginning, he tried to confuse humanity about the subject of death. Do you remember? 
God made it clear to our first parents, Adam and Eve, that if they partook of that fruit, they would surely die. Why? Not because the fruit was poisonous, but rather because the wages of sin is death. God made it clear that sin results in death. But then Satan came in the form of a serpent and spoke the first lie to humanity. Genesis 3 verse 4 and 5, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Well, what's going to happen then? Next verse. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. Your eyes shall be what? And you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Here we find Satan putting a question mark where God had placed a period. God made it clear that sin brings death. But here the serpent says, you won't surely die. I mean, you'll die, but not surely but instead, you're going to be like God. Your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be able to see more clearly and live in a state of consciousness. You're going to be like God's. And God is immortal. Therefore, when you sin, you're going to be immortal. Death is simply one phase of existence to another higher phase of existence. You'll die, but not surely die. Your body may die, but the soul will continue to live in a state of consciousness. My friends, this is the origin of spiritualism. It is the origin of the immortal soul. The idea that the body dies, but the soul continues to live in a state of consciousness. The devil made up this lie, friends. It was the first thing he said to try to deceive our first parents. And friends, most religions believe this lie. In fact, most people believe this lie. You know how I know that? Because it would be hard for me to find someone that would be willing and anxious to walk through a cemetery, especially an old one. 12 o'clock midnight on Friday the 13th <laughs> with a full moon and the wind blowing through the trees. Oh, that's not something we're interested in doing, right? Most people don't think that's, a, that, that's an enjoyable thing to do. Why? Because we all know that those in the cemetery are dead, but maybe not surely dead. We're not sure. My friends, this was the first lie. It's the origin of spiritualism, the origin of the immortal soul that those who worship demons believe in. Pagan religions believe this lie. In fact, I want you to notice... This one spiritualism book said, the, fundament, the fundamental principle of spiritism is that human beings survive bodily death. And that occasionally under conditions not yet fully understood, we can communicate with those who have gone before. This is one of the foundational fundamental principles of spiritualism. Is that the body dies but the soul continues to live in consciousness and we can communicate with those who are dead. My friends, this belief paves the way for demons in disguise to deceive. And those who believe it acknowledge that this is the devil's doctrine. They even quote the serpent as the originator of it. I want you to notice what one spiritualist said in describing what spiritualism teaches. He said, spiritualism says that the dead know more than the living. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. In this, as in many other Bible passages, the devil told the truth. And the Lord is in error, so they say. Do you see that, friends? 
they actually believed that when the serpent said that, he was actually right. That he was speaking the truth about the nature of man. That's what Satanists and spiritualists believe in, friends. But what's more surprising than that is that many Christians, not realizing it, believe the exact same thing. How? Well, friends, you tell me. What do most Christians believe happens when a person dies? Where do they go? Immediately to heaven or hell. Right? That's what most Christians believe. When you die, you go to heaven or hell. And friends, if that was true, you know what that means? If it's true that when you die, you go straight to heaven or hell, then that means that the dead would know more than the living. Because you would be conscious of heaven and you would be able to see what's happening on earth. My friends, remember what we studied the other night. What happens at the second coming of Christ? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall come down. Is that what it says? Help me. It shall rise first. My friends, the Bible is clear that when Jesus comes, the dead are going to rise from the graves. That's the resurrection. The Bible is clear. It's, it's then that families that have been separated by death are going to be reunited in life, never to be separated again. I mean, think about it, friends. Think about it. If it's true that when you die, you go straight to heaven or hell, then what is the purpose of the resurrection? If you die and you go straight to heaven, why does Jesus have to come back the second time? There's no purpose of a second coming. There's no purpose of a resurrection. If it's true that when you die, you go straight to heaven. You see, the truth is that when you die, you rest in the grave until the second coming when the resurrection takes place. And we'll see that more clearly as we continue in our study tonight. The devil did not tell the truth, friends. He was lying when he said that we are immortal. So who can free us from the devil's lies? Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. If anyone knows what happens when you die, surely it's Christ. He experienced it, but he rose again. And he said to us, I have the keys of hell. That's the Greek word Hades. It means the grave. I have the keys of the grave and of death. Jesus, my friends, will give us the key tonight to unlock the mystery of the grave and the mystery of death. And so we go to the words of Jesus to find out the truth of the matter. But here's the thing, friends. Before we can understand the mystery of death, we first must understand the equation of life. Before you can understand death, you first have to understand life. And so we're going to put the topic of death on the shelf. Just put it aside. And we're going to pick up the topic of life. And when we can understand life, that is to say, how God made us, the nature of man, the makeup of man, when we can understand the creation of life, then we'll be able to understand the mystery of death. Are you with me? All right. So let's ask the question, how did God made us, make us? Bible says in Genesis 2 verse 7, and the Lord God did what? Form man out of the what? Dust of the ground and breathe into his nostrils the what? The breath of life. And man, what is the next word right there? Became a what? Living soul. My friends, this is the creation of man. 
the creation of man's life. God took the dust of the earth to form the physical body of, of Adam. Then he breathed into his nostrils his life-giving breath. And as a result of combining the two elements of the dust and the breath, Bible says that man became a living soul. I want you to write down or underscore that word became. It does not say that man was given a soul, but he became a soul. In other words, he does not have a soul, but he is a soul. That's the creation equation of man. It, it, it's like this, friends. Dust plus breath equals a living soul, which is the same thing as a living person. In other words, friends, the soul cannot live in a state of consciousness without the two elements of the dust and the breath combined together. If that's clear so far, please say amen. You see, friends, the confusion about death lies in the confusion of terminology. The confusion about death lies in the co confusion of what? Terminology. That is what terms or words mean. Therefore, if we can define what words mean, what words, how God uses specific words and what they mean, then we will see the confusion dissipate. So now what we want to do, friends, is we want to ask the question, what is the dust? What is the breath? And what exactly is the soul? And when we can find the biblical definitions of those things, instead of our own human assumptions of what we think it means, but rather the biblical definitions, we will understand this topic so clear that we'll be able to explain it to anyone that asks us. And a child will be able to understand it. So we want to start the question, what is the soul? What exactly is that? Well, in the original language, it's the word nephesh. Can you say that? And that means a living being, a person, or creature. What is a soul? It's a living being. A living person. You are a soul and I am a soul. We don't have one, but we are one. That's how the Bible uses the word soul to denote the whole person. Acts 2.41 is an example. It says, then those who gladly received this word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 what? Souls were added to them. Now what does it mean when it says 3,000 souls were added? Is that referring to 3,000 mystical, spiritualistic kind of entities entered into people? No, friends. When it says 3,000 souls, it simply means 3,000 people. You can also find Acts 7, verse 14, Acts 27, verse 37, and over and over again. The, when the Bible uses the word soul, it denotes the whole person. Have you ever heard someone use the expression, oh, you poor soul? You've said that, haven't you? Oh, you poor soul. What do you mean when you say that? Are you talking about something in that person, or are you talking about the person? You're talking about the person. And that's how the Bible used the expression soul. It denotes a living person. If that's clear, say amen. All right, well, the next question is this. Can the soul die? Satan says no. The body dies, but, but the soul lives in consciousness. But can the soul die? Well, to answer that question, you just have to ask another fun fundamental question. Can you die? So if you are a soul and you can die, can the soul die? Yes, friends, and that's what the Bible teaches. Ezekiel 18, verse 4, it says, Behold, all souls are mine. The so as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins, it shall live forever. Is that what it says? Oh, help me out tonight. You've got to correct me faster than that. The soul that lives, it shall, excuse me, the soul that sins, it shall, it shall die. And how many have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? All of us, the Bible says. Therefore, because of sin, all of us are subject to death. You see, we do not have life in and of ourselves. 
the soul that sins, it shall die. You see, the Bible, the King James Version at least, uses the word soul over 1,600 times, but never once does it use the expression immortal soul. You see, man does not possess inherent immortality in and of ourselves. We are subject to death because of sin. But friends, even before sin, we did not have immortality in and of ourselves. You remember God placed in the Garden of Eden a tree that mankind was to eat in order for them to continue to live forever. And what tree was that? It was the tree of life. In other words, their immortality was contingent upon them continuing to eat of the tree of life. They were not immortal. You see, when the Bible says that God made us in his image, it doesn't mean he made us immortal. It simply means he made us like him in character, in purity, in holiness. You see, when it talks about immortality in the Bible, it is always a characteristic of God or something that God gives as a gift to those who believe in him. Notice in 1 Timothy 6, verse 15 and 16, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath what? Immortality. You see, God only has immortality. Why? Because he is the source of life. And he gives immortality as a gift to all those who believe in him. But remember what the serpent said? You eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be immortal. Friends, man is mortal, subject to death because of sin. And so it's clear the soul dies. So let's go back to the creation equation of man. God took the dust of the earth to create the physical body of Adam. Then he breathed into the nostrils of that body his life-giving breath. And as a result, man became, wasn't given, but became a living soul. So without the breath, what are we? We're just dust, friends. That's what we are. How do you feel about dust? I don't know about you, but I hate dust. I'm always trying to sweep it and vacuum it and wipe it. I have air filters in my, in my home that are running 24-7 to get all the dust out of the air. I don't like it up my nose and in my eyes or on my stuff. I hate dust. Dust is absolutely worthless. worthless. And that's exactly what you are without God. <laughs> but it's amazing, friends, that his breath brings significant value to the dust of who we are. Amen? It's amazing, friends. And so here's the next question. And everything hinges on this question, right? This is where the confusion comes in for most people. Tell me, friends. Is the breath a part of the soul, yes or no? Is the breath a part of the soul, yes or no? Yes, it's at least 50% or whatever. It's a part of the soul, yes. But here's the next question. Is the breath... The same thing as the soul, yes or no? Is the breath the same thing as the soul, yes or no? No, and that's where, all, that's where most people get confused. The breath is a part of the soul, but it's not the same thing as the soul. Okay, well then what's the breath? Who knows what the Bible says? Job 27 verse 3, it says, All the while my breath is in me, and the what? Spirit of God is where? 
in my nostrils. Bible says in Genesis 2-7 that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This says the spirit of God is in my nostrils. It's the same thing as the breath. The breath and the spirit are synonymous. Here's another one. Job 33 verse 4 says, the spirit of God hath made me. What hath made me? The spirit of God hath made me. The breath of the almighty hath given me what? Life. And so what is that breath? It's the same thing as the spirit, the spark of life. The breath of, of the Lord. In the original language, it's the word ruach. Can you say that? Ruach. It means the same thing. Spirit, breath, or wind. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says that the spirit gives life. That's what caused the dust to come alive. God's life-giving breath. His, his spirit, friends. Breath and spirit are synonymous over and over again in the Bible. In John 20, verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy what? Spirit, breath, spirit, same thing. It's the spark of life. The Holy Spirit is also a real person, friends, a personality, but it's also the spark of life, that which God made us alive. In Luke 23, verse 46, this is when Jesus died. Now, friends, did Jesus die? Did he actually die? Absolutely, Yes. And notice what happened when Jesus died. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands. Into your what? Hands. I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And then what happened? He died. Now, when Jesus said to the Father, into your hand I commit my spirit, he breathed his last and died and dies. Does that mean that Jesus went directly into the hands of the Father? No, friends. Because he's not, his breath and his, the spirit is not the same thing as who he is. He died, was buried in the tomb. So the spirit is simply the breath, the spark of life. He laid that down. And so the creation equation of man is very simple. It looks like this. God took the elements of the earth, which is the same thing as the dust. He combined that with his life-giving spirit, which is the same thing as his breath. And as a result of these two elements combining together, man became a living person, which is the exact same thing as a living soul. Man was not given a soul. He became a soul. And what is the soul made up of? Dust and breath. If that's clear, please say amen. All right, friends, you understand the creation equation of life. Now that we can understand life, we can now comprehend the mystery of death. Why? Because listen, death is life in reverse. Death is life in reverse. Now notice what the Bible says happens when a person dies. Death is creation in reverse. Psalms 104 verse 29, it says, Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath. What happens when the breath is taken away, they what? Die. You, the soul, you, they is you, friends. That's the soul. It says it, they die and return to their what? Return to the dust. So when the breath is taken away from the body, we simply die. The, what happens to the body decomposes and goes back to dust, from ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. Hey, that's biblical, friends. Body decomposes, goes back to dust. But you, the soul, you simply die. Here's another one. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, it says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. 
So at death, the body goes back to the earth, back to the dust, body decomposed, go back to dust. The spirit goes back to God who gave it. That doesn't mean that you go back to God because you're not the spirit. What are you? You're the soul. What is the spirit? It's simply the breath, the spark of life. Why does it go back to God who gave it? Because he's the source. And there is no life outside of God. Here's another one. In Psalms 146, verse 3 and 4, put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. Why is it not wise to trust in princes, politicians, presidents, political parties, popes and priests and pastors? Why? His breath goes forth. And what happens? He returns to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. When the body and the breath separates, we simply perish. We simply die. It says in James 2.26, the body without the spirit is what? Is simply dead. And so death looks like this. A body or the dust separated from the breath or the spirit of life equals a dead soul or a dead person. It's really that simple. If that makes sense, would you please say amen? Oh, but it's going to make even more sense with this illustration. What is that on the screen? Now, friends, tell me, does the light bulb have light in and of itself, yes or no? No, it's just a shell, right? The shell doesn't have light in and of itself. It's just a shell. It has the potential of light, but it needs something added to it in order for light to emanate. What is that? It needs power, right? In the same way, this body doesn't have life in and of itself. This body's just a shell. We're just dust. But what happens when you connect the dust of our body to the power source, to the breath of God? Same thing, what happens when you connect the light bulb to the power source? You have light. When the shell and the breath of God, when the dust and the breath combined, you have light. The soul is alive. You have light. But what happens if you disconnect or separate the shell from the power source? What happens if you disconnect the shell from the power source? What happens? The light goes out. But wait a minute. Where did the light go? Where'd the light go, friends? Did it go to some light heaven or light hell or light purgatory? <laughs> Where's the light, friends? It simply ceases, right? The electrical currents go back to the source, and now all you have is a shell. Same thing when the breath separates, you just have, a, you have dust. But wait a minute. Do you remember seeing that light on the screen a few minutes ago, a few moments ago? Do you remember it? Yes or no? So then where does the light exist? In your memory. It's the same thing with God, friends. At death, the soul simply ceases to exist in a state of consciousness. Except for in the memory and in the mind of God. God will never forget his own. Amen? God, the Bible says, has the righteous, his righteous saints written in the book of life. Now, that's just an earthly illustration because I don't believe that the Lord needs a literal book. Perhaps there is a literal book. I'm sure there is, but it's not for God's sake. God remembers those who belong to him. Can you say amen? So the soul is simply dead. It simply ceases, but God is the keeper of our soul. He remembers us. Now, can we turn the light back on again? Yes, but how is the light turned on again? When you reconnect the shell with the power source, can God Make the soul alive once again? Yes, by reconnecting us as well. But when will he do that? Not at death, but at the resurrection. You see, death is like turning off the light. 
But at the resurrection, God will turn it on once again. Even if your physical body is cremated, doesn't matter. Even if you're eaten by sharks or blown into smithereens, it doesn't matter, friends. God has the ability to make us and bring us back together again. Can you say amen? And that's what he promises to do when he comes the second time. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall Rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord on that great getting up morning. Graves are going to burst open at the sound of the trumpet. The angels will be singing and the Lord is going to shout. And that word that has the power in it to do what it says will cause the dead to rise from the grave. And like popcorn popping on a hot stove, those graves will burst up and the sleeping saints will come alive and those of us who live in the last days will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air and on our way up notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 52 and 53 it says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on what when do we receive immortality? At the last trump. When Jesus comes the second time, as we rise up to meet him in the air, we're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to receive everlasting immortality. Immortality with Jesus. Oh, a brand new body awaits each and every one of us. A body that can't get sick and never will grow old. No more aches or pains. No more headaches or heartaches. No more asthma or arthritis or osteoporosis, multiple sclerosis, scoliosis, and all of these other terrible things. Those of you with eyeglasses, you can throw those away. Hearing aids, not necessary anymore. God is going to give us new bodies. No more gray hairs or wrinkles or pimples on the face. How many looking forward to your brand new body? Amen. That's going to be wonderful, friends. But when will we receive that body? When Jesus comes the second time. Not at death, but at the resurrection. And that's good news. Friends, think about it. Not only is this biblical, it's also logical. It makes sense. Can you imagine if it was true that when you die, you go straight to heaven? Let's say husbands. How many of you are husbands? Raise your hand. Let's say husbands, you die... And you go straight to heaven. And from heaven, you're looking down upon the earth, like the songs say. And you're, you see your wife crying because she misses you so. Oh, won't you feel sad seeing your wife mourn over your death from heaven? That would be terrible. But husbands from heaven, you're looking down upon your wife. And as time goes on, you're beginning to notice that, that she's not crying as much as she used to. And then as more time goes on, you, you notice that there's some other brother that's beginning to put the moves on your wife. And she begins to respond. And they actually get into a relationship. He proposes, she says yes, and from heaven you're looking down upon them on the night of their wedding. Husbands, could you have peace seeing that? That would be terrible. <laughs> Nothing wrong with getting remarried if your spouse has passed away. Nothing wrong with that. But can you imagine if our spouse died and went to heaven, I would never want to get remarried. Thinking that that person is looking at me, 
My friends, that's a terrible thought. You see, our loved ones are in a better place. If it was in heaven, it wouldn't be in a better place. Seeing us suffer and go through things on this earth. Parents, think about it. If you died and went straight to heaven, you're looking down from heaven, and you see your children doing drugs. Could you find peace in heaven? No. But heaven is a place of peace. Heaven is a place where there's no fear, no worry. Our loved ones are in a better place. Where is that? It's in the grave, friends, sleeping peacefully, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And friends, when he comes, the Bible says we're going to go to heaven together. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air, to experience. You see, our loved ones aren't, are, who have passed away aren't in heaven right now enjoying it without us. We're going to enjoy it at the same time when the Lord Jesus comes. I am so grateful that the truth is so much better than the counterfeit. The truth makes sense, and it's a whole lot better than the counterfeit. Some people think to themselves, you know, they're individuals, you know, sometimes in life, children, little babies die, and that's a terrible thing. And if it's true that when you die, you go straight to heaven, can you imagine a little child, a little baby dying, and then they go, go to heaven, and they grow up in heaven, and the parents don't get the opportunity to see that little one grow up? My friends, if you've lost a little child, that child will be placed back into your arms just as you remember that child at the resurrection. Amen? That's the truth of God's word. Now, we know that there are, before we get to that, let me read these few other verses. Acts 2.34 says, for David did not ascend into the heavens. Now, friends, if anyone should die and go to heaven, surely it would be David. He was a man after God's own heart. But Peter said, he's not in heaven. Well, where is he, Peter? Verse 23. Peter said, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. I was in Israel a few years ago. I got the chance to see the tomb of David. Peter made made it clear that David is in the grave. He's in the tomb. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for the resurrection when Jesus comes. Is that clear? Now, having said that, we know that there are some saints that are in heaven. We know at least three of them by their names. Who's the first one we know is in heaven by name? Enoch. Did he die and go to heaven? No, he was translated without seeing death. Who was the other one that was translated without seeing death besides Enoch? Elijah. He didn't die and go to heaven. Caught up in the fiery chariot. Translated. Well, who's the other one that is in heaven that we know by name? Moses. Did Moses die? Yes. But he didn't die and go to heaven. He died and he was buried. The Bible is clear about that. But we know that he's in heaven. Why? Because in Matthew 17, we find Elijah and Moses talking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But Moses did not die and go to heaven. He died, was buried, but then he was resurrected from the grave early. How do we know that? You can write down these scriptures very quickly. Jude chapter 1 verse 9 talks about how the Lord was arguing with Satan over the deceased body of Moses. And the Lord simply rebuked the devil. The strong implication in that passage is that Satan tried to keep Moses in the grave, but the Lord rebuked him. The Lord would resurrect Moses from the grave early. And then in Romans 5.14, it says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death reigned from when to when? Adam to Moses, which shows that after Moses, death no longer reigned supreme. Why? Moses was the first one resurrected from the grave. So because the Lord resurrected him from the grave, death no longer reigned supreme. So Moses died, yes, was buried, yes, was resurrected early. Why? 
as a down payment to give you and me hope that even though we might make mistakes like Moses did, we have the assurance of the resurrection when Jesus comes again. Amen? You don't have to be afraid of death, friends. Death is something that's totally different from God's perspective, especially the death of his people. Now, the next question people ask is this. Is there any consciousness in death? What is it like when a person dies? Well, Jesus explained it in John chapter 11. In the 11th chapter of John, Jesus was teaching when he received the news that his friend Lazarus was sick. He wasn't dead. He was sick. But Jesus did not go to heal him right away. He stayed in the same place for two days. And during that time, Lazarus, who was sick, ended up dying. Then notice what Jesus said to the disciples. John 11, verses 11 through 14. Jesus said unto him, unto them, our friend Lazarus, what? Sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. You see, the disciples thought that he was sick and sleep was going to help him get better. Lord, why are you going to wake him up? He needs his rest. Remember, he's sick. If he sleeps, he's going to do well. Howbeit, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is what? But how did Jesus liken death to that of sleep? It was simply a sleep to Jesus. And so Jesus would come to the place where Lazarus was, was, was laid. And on his way there, the grieving sisters of Lazarus, the family members, came to Jesus. And, and the sister of Lazarus fell at Jesus' feet. And, and, and notice what she said in John 11. She said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus responds and says, thy brother is in heaven. Oh, he's walking on streets of gold. He's singing with the angels. He's, he's, he, he, he's with the He's with the Father. Don't be so sad. He's in a better place. Did Jesus say that? My friends, Jesus did not say what many preachers are saying today at funerals. However, he brought comfort to the broken heart of the sister of Lazarus. What was that comfort? Thy brother shall rise again. He comforted her with the reality of the resurrection. Your brother shall rise again. Yes, he's in the grave. Yes, he's sleeping. Oh, but don't you worry. He'll rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, Martha understood where, his, where her brother was. And when she said that, that was a true statement. If it wasn't true, Jesus would have corrected it. But he didn't because she was right on. He was there in the grave waiting for the resurrection at the last day. Oh, but Jesus had even more in mind than that when he came to the place that Lazarus was laid. He comes to the tomb, and he's going to resurrect Lazarus from the, from, the, from the grave. And as he looks upon the mourners, he sees the suffering of humanity. The Bible takes the time to record the reaction of Jesus. And this is the shortest verse in the Bible. But it speaks volumes about the character of God. The Bible tells us that when Jesus saw the suffering, when he looked upon the place of the dead, it says, Jesus wept. Why is he weeping? My friends, does Jesus know that he's about to resurrect Lazarus from the grave? Yes. For him, Lazarus is just sleeping. So the reason why Jesus is crying is not for the one that had died, friends. He's about to resurrect him. 
The one that's, that has died is just sleeping in the eyes of God. He's not weeping for the dead. Who's he weeping for then? He's weeping for the living. He weeps because he sees the suffering and the pain that death has brought upon those who are still alive. He sees the broken hearts of the people who have lost their loved ones. And this, it's the picture of a God that is not indifferent to human pain. He's not cold and calloused. My friends, when you weep, Jesus weeps. When you are hurting, Jesus is hurting. The Bible says, he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. And you may feel that no one else understands my pain. No one can understand my tears. Let me tell you, maybe no mortal person can understand what you're going through. But there's a God in heaven that understands. He is the man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. And he feels our pain in his own flesh. He has deep infinite compassion he is near to those who have a broken heart and that word compassion means to compass with passion the word passion means suffering the compassion of the Lord simply means he is surrounded with our suffering you may have lost a loved one this week maybe you feel like you're about to lose someone to some cancer or some disease and your heart feels so overwhelmed let me tell you, friends, God knows your pain. But he is also the God that will turn our sorrows into joy. Weeping shall endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that which we must understand about God is that he sees the big picture in mind. He looks at death a lot differently than we do. The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. You see, we look at, upon death as something that is so permanent and so painful and yes it's painful but it's not permanent for the one that has died in Jesus it's just a temporary sleep resting peacefully until the resurrection and we will see our loved ones again amen so take courage family take courage friends hang on to Jesus he is the resurrection of life Jesus wept that's the shortest verse in the Bible but it speaks volumes on who God is Jesus weeps then he tells the people to remove the stone because God won't do something that we can do for ourselves he tells them remove the stone then he does something that it's impossible for us to do he resurrects the one that is dead back to life Jesus spoke into the place of death and he said three words, Lazarus, come down. Is that what Jesus said? Lazarus, come forth. Why? Because he wasn't up there and had to come down. He was in the grave, had to come forth. And friends, when that word of God was mixed up with that inanimate clay, the word of God that proceeds out of the lips of Jesus has the power in it to do exactly what it says. And he who was dead came alive and came out of the grave. Jesus said, remove the bandages. And as they removed the bandages around Lazarus, Lazarus began to speak. And then he says, Jesus, why did you have to bring me back down here to this earth? I was having such a good time in heaven. I was singing with the angels and walking on the streets of gold, and I was having a wonderful time with my new body. Man, why did you have to call me back down here to this earth? Is that what Lazarus said? Did he give some kind of account that he was in heaven? No. Why? Because he wasn't there. Where was he? In the grave 
resting, sleeping, waiting for the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus gave an early one, friends, because he wanted to demonstrate his power over death. Amen? My friends, death is asleep. It's asleep. Bible says in Acts 7 verse 60, talking about Stephen getting stoned, it said he fell asleep. Now what does it mean that Stephen fell asleep? How do you read that? Stephen is getting stoned and all of a sudden he says, man, I, I feel tired. Let me just take a nap real quick. When it, said, when, it said if, when it says he fell asleep, it simply means that he died because that's what death is. It's sleep. You know, R.I.P., what does that stand for? You know, when I was a kid and I, I didn't know anything about the Bible, I, I, I would see R.I.P. on the tombstones and I was like, wow, that person was ripped to death? That's terrible. <laughs> but what does R.I.P. stand for? Rest in peace. That's biblical. That's what the Bible teaches. But here's the next question. What kind of sleep is the sleep of death? Because sometimes we sleep and we don't get any rest. Sometimes you go to sleep at night and you toss and turn. You have nightmares and crazy dreams. Well, what kind of sleep is death? It's a dreamless sleep. Totally unconscious. Notice what it says in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 and 6. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know more than the living. How much do the dead know? They know not anything. Why? Because they're completely unconscious. The dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is not perished. Neither have they any more portion for e forever in anything that is done under the sun. Bible is clear, friends, that when you die, you don't know anything. You have no love, you have no hatred, you have no envy. Why? Because death is asleep where you're completely unconscious. You have no recollection of the passing of time. Verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 9 says, Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Friends, when a person dies, you don't have to worry about that person coming back to hunt you. Dead people can't hurt you. They have no hatred. They have no love. They're sleeping. You don't have to be afraid of the dead. The only people you ought to be afraid of is the living. <laughs> dead people can't hurt you, friends. They're, 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 they're sleeping peacefully in the grave. Friends, if this is clear, would you please say amen? It's kind of like pressing pause on a person's experience. A pressing pause on a person's consciousness. If you're listening to a song on your musical device, you press pause, what's going to happen? What happens when you press pause during the middle of a song? The song stops, but does time stop? No, time goes on. And let's say you come back in an hour or two hours or a day or a week or a year or ten years or a thousand years. And you go back and you press play, what's going to happen? The song will start from where? Where it left off. That's kind of like what death is like. It's pressing pause on a person's existence or consciousness. For the person that dies, they don't know how long they've been in the grave. It's not like the person that is dead is in the grave twiddling their thumbs, just bored out of their mind and just can't wait for the resurrection. No, a thousand years could go by, but they don't know it. The next waking moment is the resurrection. For the, so for the person that dies, it is as if they die and the very next thing, resurrection. But a thousand years could have gone by, they don't know it. And that's the reason why, friends, every, every, every day we, we go to sleep, we ought to put our lives in the hands of the Lord Jesus. Amen? The only thing certain about living in this world of uncertainty is the fact that every single one of, one of us will eventually die if Jesus doesn't come soon. But praise God, we can look at death in the face with hope, with peace, 
and with joy in our hearts because of the promise of the resurrection. And that's good news. Well, some people ask, well, what about near-death experiences where people say, you know, I died and I, I was conscious? People say, you know, I, I died and I saw things and I heard things and I went to heaven and some people went to hell too. And, and they come back and they, they talk about what they saw and as a result, books are made and movies are made and people watch it and, and they believe in this. Well, what about near-death experiences? Well, friends, modern medical science has shown that a person's heart can stop beating and, uh, and, and they, can, they can stop breathing for a time, and, but there's still activity in the brain. They're, you see, you're not completely gone until you're brain is gone and in the moments where a person is faltering between life and death they're not dead yet it's near death experiences not death experiences and in those moments when you're on the brink you still can see things and hear things and surely God can work in those instances and tell a person you know now is not your time I have a plan and and something for you to do is now is not your time surely God can work but the devil can work too and, and, and make people get confused about this reality. Not only that, friends, but science have shown that the stimulation of the right angular gyrus, that's the specific, or, uh, specific organ in the brain, the stimulation of that organ can actually create an out-of-body illusion. It's an illusion, friends. So that's why some people say, you know, I left my body and I, I could see myself on the hospital bed and I could see what was going on. It's an illusion. They did not actually leave their body. It's perceived reality, not actual reality. And most of these experiences are neutral. They're neither of God or of Satan. Just a chemical reaction. Here's the point, friends. We don't test the word of God by a subjective human experience. We got to test every subjective human experience by the word of God. Amen? Because the devil can manipulate an experience. But everything must be tested by the word. And the word of God is clear. It says that the dead do not praise the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Psalms 115 verse 17. Friends, if I died and went to heaven, I'd be praising God. The Bible says that the dead do not praise the Lord. Why? Because they're asleep. Here's another one. Isaiah 38 verse 19 and 20. For the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. There goes purgatory, friends. Once you die, you can't hope for truth. You can't hope for a second chance. Your probation is closed when you die. Well, then who's going to praise God then? The rest of the verse says, the living shall praise thee as I do this day. Listen, friends, while the blood is flowing warm in our veins, while we have breath, while we have sight and life, let's use this life that God has given us to praise and honor and live and glorify our God. Amen? Young people, you ought to give flowers to your parents right now while they can see them, smell them, and appreciate them. Because no matter how many flowers you bring at the funeral, that person can't appreciate it. We need to apologize to those who we have wronged right now. Because no matter how many times at the casket you say with tears, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, they can't hear you, friends. What we do, let us do it right now while we still have life. Can you say amen? Now, there are a lot more verses we can read, but we don't have the time. But the Bible is consistent when it comes to this teaching. Now, I do understand that there are some scriptures, there are a handful of scriptures that seem to indicate there's consciousness in death. But it only seems that way because we're misunderstanding it. 
Some of you might be thinking about those scriptures right now. Some of you, especially those who are hearing this for the first time, you might be thinking to yourself, but what about when the Bible said absent from the body, present with the Lord? What about the thief on the cross? Didn't he die and go to paradise that day? What about the witch of Endor? What about preaching to the spirits of prison and the rich man and Lazarus and, and all of these other things that seem to say that there's consciousness in death. Well, yes, there are a few scriptures that seem like that, but it only seems like that because of our misunderstanding. Here's the point, friends. If you have 50 scriptures that say something clear about a subject, and then you have five or six scriptures that seem to say something different, what are you going to go by? Are you going to go by those five or six, six scriptures that can be understood different ways, or are you going to go by the weight of evidence? You go by the weight of evidence. You see, in order to know what the truth is on any subject, you have to read not one or two or three or four or five scriptures. You've got to study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, gather all the corroborating verses, read it in its context, compare scripture with scripture, and when you see what the consensus is, you see what the truth really is. And if you see some other obscure scriptures that seem to say something different, you study those scriptures in light of what the weight of evidence is. That's the correct way to study the Bible. Now, we don't have the time, unfortunately, to go through those handful of scriptures, absent from the body, present with the Lord, the rich man and Lazarus, preaching to the spirits of prison, uh, all these other scriptures. But there's a handout tonight that lists every single one of them and shows what those scriptures mean in the context. And friends, you'll find the Bible is absolutely consistent and congruent, it's not contradictory. And so make sure you spend some time reading the handout tonight. It'll help very much. But since we have a few minutes left, let's deal with one of them, shall we? Here's one that, that people get the sense that there's consciousness in death. What about the thief on the cross? Bible says in Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And people say, well, right there. The thief died and went to paradise. He, he died and went to heaven. Doesn't it seem like that's what it says? He died, went to heaven. Died and went to paradise. Same day, Jesus said today. But tell me, who did Jesus say the thief would be with in paradise? You will be with me in paradise. But here's the problem with that, friends. Jesus didn't go to paradise that day. Yes, Jesus died on that day, but he didn't go to paradise on that day. Jesus died, but then he was buried in the tomb. And then on the third day, he resurrected from the tomb. And Mary met him in the garden. And Jesus said to her in John 20, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. See, on that third day when Jesus resurrected, he was about to go, but he said to Mary before he went, I have not yet gone. So how could the thief be with Jesus in paradise that day when Christ himself was not there? Do you see the problem, yes or no? Well, the problem is solved when we understand the significance of a little punctuation mark. And a lot of you heard this before. Op open your ears and hear it again. You see, the original languages of the Bible, Greek and Hebrew, don't have punctuation marks like we have in English. So when the Bible is translated into English, the translators had to add the punctuation marks, the sentence structures and the periods and the commas and whatnot. And they did a fairly good job with a few exceptions. Now, some people are extreme and they say, no, everything in the Bible, including punctuation, is inspired. Well, friends, if you 
hold to that opinion, then you have to agree that handkerchiefs can get sick. Because in Acts 19, verse 11 and 12, the comma is in the wrong place, and where it's found in your Bible as it reads, handkerchiefs can get sick. Any of you believe in sick handkerchiefs? So not all commas are inspired. Now I want you to notice how big a comma can make, how big a difference a comma can make. Here's a sentence on the screen. A woman without her man is lost. Who's lost in the sentence? Is it the man that's lost or is it the woman that's lost? Let me read it again. A woman without her man is lost. Who's lost? Man or woman? How many say the man is lost? How many say the woman is lost? How many of you are lost? <laughs> well, it all depends on where you put the comma. So here's what we're going to do. We put the comma there and notice who's lost. A woman without her. Who's lost? Man is lost. In that sentence, it's the man that's lost. But notice what happens when we move the comma just one word. It has a completely different meaning. It now reads, a woman without her man is lost. Who's lost? The woman is lost now. You're not lost yet. Are, you're, you're, are you found now? Are you following me? <laughs> that's how big a difference a comma can make. And that's the situation in this passage. Here's, here it is. Here's where the comma is in your Bible. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. It seems to say that the thief went to paradise that day, but we know that can't be true because Jesus wasn't there. So notice what happens when we move the comma to after the word today. It now has the correct reading. Surely I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. That's what Jesus was saying. Uh, surely I say to you today, right now, I'm telling you right now, you will be with me in paradise. The promise was given on that day, but it wasn't fulfilled on that day. Well, when will it be fulfilled? At the resurrection, when Jesus comes again. And friends, it's amazing that that dying thief that made a mess out of his life was able to be saved in the nick of time. Oh, friends, God is a mighty Savior. Amen? He, see, he saw the heart of that thief that he wanted to be free and he wanted to be forgiven. He had experienced true repentance and so Jesus gave him the promise and the blessed assurance that he would be with Jesus in paradise. Not on that day, but on the day that the thief was asking, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Why could Jesus give such a glorious promise? Because he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. My friends, the resurrection, immortality, eternal life is guaranteed to those who trust in Jesus. It's not something we have in and of ourselves. It's a gift from God. And if I die before Jesus comes, I want Jesus to be my resurrection and my life. How about you? But some people, after reading all these verses, they can't believe what God word, God's Word says. They're too captivated by their senses. Some people say, you know, I see what the Bible is saying, but, but my husband passed away years ago, and every anniversary he comes and sits at the foot of my bed and we talk. My, 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 mother, my mother died years ago, but whenever I drive past the graveyard where she's buried, I can feel her presence. 
And we believe more in a subjective experience rather than God's word. But the Bible says, friends, in Job 7, verse 9 and 10, as the cloud is consumed and vanishes away, so he that goes down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. Well, friends, if our loved ones don't come back to visit us, if the Bible is true when it says this, and it surely is, then what are these apparitions? What are these beings that are coming to visit us, claiming to be the Virgin Mary or the Apostle Paul or one of our deceased loved ones? Who could it be, friends? The Bible says they are the spirits of devils working miracles. And Satan is so cruel to mess with our emotions in that way. But that's what he does, friends. He doesn't care about us. He hates us. He's trying to deceive us. This is the devil's playground, friends. This is how he deceived people in the past. Remember the story of the witch of Endor that supposedly brought up the prophet Samuel? That wasn't Samuel, friends. That was a demon in disguise. And King Saul was deceived by that apparition. This is what the devil has done in the past. And he will do it, especially in the last days. He's doing it now with all of these apparitions of the Virgin Mary where people are seeing bright lights in the sky and, and statues that are weeping and shedding blood. And people are seeing these miraculous signs and they're like, this is from God. But friends, the Bible says, no, it is from an enemy that is trying to confuse us. The devil is so cruel to mess with our feelings like this. I remember the story about a, about a missionary couple that had a little girl, and this little girl one day accidentally ate something poisonous, and she died. And those young parents had to bury their little girl in a little casket. And the mother was sharing how after the funeral, she was sitting in her little girl's room, weeping and crying, missing her daughter, when all of a sudden, she heard the front door open. Then she heard little steps running down the hallway. Then she saw the bedroom door open, and before her very eyes was her little girl that they had just buried. Her daughter was right there and looked like her. And then that little girl said, Mommy, Mommy, it's me. It's me. Don't cry. It's me. It's okay. It's me. And that mother said it looked like her. It sounded like her. It felt like her. And every fiber of her being wanted it to really be her. But this mother knew what the Bible says about death. And she knew that that could not be her daughter. So even though it was hard and difficult, she said to that apparition, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave me. You are not my daughter. And instantly, the being vanished. Satan is so cruel, friends. But listen, friends, if you are experiencing something similar, if you're being visited by some kind of spirit or apparition, if you're feeling some heavy pressure on your chest in the middle of the night, if you're hearing voices or sounds or things that go bump in the night, you call upon the mighty name of Jesus and all hell has to flee at that mighty name. But call upon Jesus with a heart surrendered to Jesus. Otherwise, we might be like the seven sons of Sceva who tried to cast out the demon from the demon-possessed man. And that demon said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And that demon jumped on them and they became possessed. Yes, let's call upon Jesus' name with a heart, though, that is surrendered to Jesus. Amen? As we get ready to close tonight, my friends, this message comes to us as a strong warning. That if we're dabbling into the realm of spiritualism, whether it be witchcraft, magic, black or white, Ouija boards and psychics and tarot cards and horoscopes and other things like Eastern meditation and this counterfeit contemplative, contemplative prayer movie, movement and even things that seem to be innocent like Harry Potter and Twilight and certain other movies that confuse young people about this subject. 
you're preparing yourself to be deceived. Stay close to the word. The Bible is our safety. The scriptures is our safeguard. Test all things by the word. The Bible says we walk not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Last question. Why is it so important that we understand the truth about death? So that we're not deceived. But there's a more important reason that I want to close with tonight. You see, the reason why the false doctrine of the immortal soul is so terrible. I believe the main reason why Satan invented it. Is to be a direct attack on the sacrifice of Christ. A direct attack on the beauty of the cross. How so? Well, if Satan is right that when you die, you don't really die. That means when Jesus died, he didn't really die. And thus we deny the greatest truth of all. The cross. Not only that, but the Bible says in John 3.16. Shall we say it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but shall have what kind of life? My friends, that's the same thing as immortality. Everlasting life is immortality. But notice it's only for those who believe in him. It's not found in, in us in and of ourselves. It's only for those who believe in Christ. But here's the thing, friends. If the soul is immortal and cannot die, that means we already have everlasting life. That's, that means we're already immortal. And friends, if we already have everlasting life, why do we need Jesus? We don't need Jesus if we already have everlasting life. And that's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. That you don't need Jesus. But the fact that we are mortal, subject to death. The fact that we have broken God's holy law, that we have sinned and we deserve to die. The fact that we don't have life in and of ourselves shows us today, shows me today, that I need Jesus. Do you need Jesus? There is no life outside of Jesus. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, listen. The gift of God is not so much eternal life. The gift of God is Jesus. But when you have Jesus, you have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. Do you have the Son? Have you accepted him into your heart? Do you know him? Or do you only know about him? It's one thing to know him very different than simply knowing about him. Our head knowledge will not save us, friends. But it's a hard experience with Jesus. The one that laid down his life so that we could live. He tasted that death so that we, can, so that we could taste of the living water. And soon that same Christ who died and rose again will come back the second time. And what a day that will be when the graves are bursting open. 
and families are reconciled and babies placed back into their parents' arms. What a day that will be when we will receive immortal bodies that will never grow old and never get sick. I can't wait to see my loved ones who have passed away. I know that many of you who've lost a loved one, you can't wait to see them again. So we do not weep as others do who have no hope. Yes, we weep, but not without hope. We weep with hope that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, we will be with him forever. But he's only coming for those who've accepted his death on the cross in their place. And so, friends, tonight, it's not a guarantee that any one of us will see tomorrow. In fact, just this past week, there's a beloved sister that attended this seminar just this past Tuesday and not realizing that she was listening to her last message. But she's sleeping now. Christ is going to wake her up soon when he comes the second time. Oh, my friends, you may not see tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But as long as you know who holds tomorrow, you can sleep peacefully at night knowing that in Jesus, we have life evermore. And so tonight, how many of you want to accept Jesus as your resurrection and your life? You want Jesus to be your all in all. If so, would you stand where you are? Soon death itself will die. And I look forward to that day. Let's get ready for the coming of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy. We thank you so much for making this message plain from, your, from, the, from, your, from the word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for dispelling the confusion. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be afraid of death. It's just a sleep that lasts for a little while until you wake us up when you come. Lord, we are so grateful that our loved ones are in a better place. They're sleeping. We want to see them again, Lord. We miss them. And we can't wait for that resurrection morning and that great reunion oh lord make us ready may not one be missing may all be there when the road is called up yonder let us all be there dear god do whatever it takes that we might be saved in your kingdom we give you our hearts tonight now take us home safely bring us back tomorrow morning as we worship you in spirit and in truth in the name of jesus we pray let all of god's children say amen Amen and amen. God bless you. Please be seated.